We need to believe. If we don't believe, we don't go anywhere. And belief is a deep-rooted conviction of the truth. As we've been talking about, it's not just a mental agreement, but it's a deep-rooted spiritual conviction of heart and mind that turns you and propels you into a new direction. Amen. And really, you know, this is what this is about. This is words that declare the last six years, but also what's for us as his people. And when he spoke to me about putting this just down in words, this has been a year in the making. And I just want to thank everyone that's had a hand in helping with this. Um, and I just want to encourage you, it's free. We're just giving them away. And so feel free to grab one at that table there, the table there, or the table there. If they all go there, there's boxes just tucked in around the corner. So rip open the boxes. And feel free to take more than one. If you have people that you know could have value of this, just grab three. My mum's ordered five. Um, um, but just, I would ask you to treat it with uh, respect in the sense of if you know someone's going to get something from it. Just don't grab it for a book and say, there's a book to read. If someone is generally interested and wants to know more than maybe what they currently know, uh, that some of the chapters in here will be quite challenging challenge myself and as you've know the process that God's gone on and you know I think chapter four uh, is one that is called the indestructible life in Christ I want to read you just a little bit from that to give you an idea of what that's about and even when I read it again it's this weird thing I know that I've this has come through me it's not of me and um more than this physical life. That's the little subheading. Jesus taught his disciples and anyone who would listen that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He taught them not to worry about their lives as to what they will eat or what they will drink or what they will wear. Are you serious, Jesus? How can life be more than the basic commodities that every being need, every human being needs to survive? Food, water and clothing. If we don't have these things, we will die. But here Jesus is saying not to worry about these things. And there's a scripture reference. What is this life that Jesus speaks of that is more than food and clothing? And where do we find this life? What is this life that is more than the physical? What is this life that is more than the physical necessities to life on earth? This is what this chapter is dedicated to. To describe the life that Jesus came to birth, form, and establish in his church. Jesus came to make it possible for all his people to come into and live from an indestructible life in him. Even the word indestructible. You know, some of those products that are made that you just can't destroy them they're, they're, they they last forever and ever and ever the quality of them has tested time and that's what that chapter is about that Jesus wants to bring you and I into an indestructible life that's in him him and you him and me is the hope of glory amen 
You know, and some of the things I talk about of, in this book is coming out of the institution. Coming out of an institutionalized mindset that keeps the church bound up, thinking it's about turning up and going through motions as opposed to being his people and living from the identity of knowing who you are in him. Identity is so important. It's critical. If you don't know who you are, you'll live a different life to who and how you're called to live. It's, it's so vital, and I talk about that in here. I talk about we want a king. How the Israelites wanted a king. Why do the Israelites want a king when God was king? Why would you want anyone else but the king in your life? And why do people want to be kings? You see, this is all part of the institution where we put people up on pedestals because we want people to be kings. Because as it says in the scriptures, they wanted the king to go fight their battles. They wanted the king to do it all for them while they just sat back. And the challenge is there are plenty of people that want to be those people. So it's a dysfunctional system. And it's always going to fail. Because when the king doesn't perform, you get rid of that one, you get another one. And you continue to build this consumeristic culture and mindset about how we can all meet each other's needs, but no, he's the one that meets all our needs. Because life is more than food, and it's more than clothing, it's more than shelter. Life that Jesus calls the church to experience and come into is so much more than this planet. Even though we are called to be on this planet for a period of time, and to be the demonstration of him on the earth, yes? And I think we've lost this as a whole. I think the church over the last 50 years has lost her identity. She's lost who she's truly called to be and how she's truly called to live. And this is really what this is all about. God is looking for a transformed, being transformed people who demonstrate him. His heartbeat. His kindness. His gentleness, his resurrected life, his generosity. Amen? And so all things, guys, all things are fully possible to those who believe. And so grab yourself a copy. Might make some good toilet reading. Um, Maybe good somewhere else. Might fall asleep reading it. But my hope is this it's simple to read, but it's deep. And I hope that some of the thoughts in here will grab you and hold you, and God will inspire you to meditate on what you've meditated on. And please, I ask as you seek the revelation of what's written, don't just read the book and go, that's a whole lot of great information. Seek the revelation of where it's come from my heart, which is down, because that's the only thing that will change us. It's like his word. It's like it's just words, it's information, it's just another book. Yep, moving on. So um, as I say, they're free. Jesus said, freely we've received, freely give. So freely take. And uh, it is also on the website. So I've got it also downloaded on my phone. So it's on iTunes or iBooks or PDF. So if you go on the website, just on the front page, you'll see the images in the middle. 
It's the last image. Click on that. If you click on that, then you can have it on your phone as well. So however you're comfortable reading it, uh, read away. All right. Come with me to Acts 4, 31 to 37. Acts 4, 31, 37. Just going to recap the scripture that we're looking at in this whole transformational family. As we've been talking about, I just want to remind us, we've just been painting a picture of the outcome. And so you're going to hear an outcome of how people lived on the earth. But we don't chase the outcome, we chase him. And too often we want to be about the outcome, we try and figure out how we're going to make the outcome happen. And we never get there, or we get a mutated version of it that never lasts, because we haven't gone on his process. We haven't gone through his door, his life, the way he says this thing happens. So you be these people, you become this family 24-7. It's not just a one-off hit. It's not just something that lasts three months and then you find yourself being back to the way you always were. It's something that changes you forever. And now you're living from a whole different default setting. So Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So once again, there's this really cool picture being painted uh, of a community that's on fire and a community that's alive. And as we've looked at, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So every one of these people were filled with God, continually feeding on his word. The Bible says in other passages, Acts 2.32, I think it is, that the early church devoted themselves to four things. Who can tell me what those four things are? They were devoted to four things. Prayer. What was it? Breaking bread. Prayer. Breaking bread. Fellowship, which is union. Not so much coming again to having you know, like a party, but union with God. Fellowship, being one with God and one another. And the word. Okay, so they, this community were devoted to those four elements. What does devoted mean? Wholehearted? Wholeheartedly disciplined, intentional, spending time together in fellowship, union with God and one another, coming into oneness, eating his word and in prayer. They believed. Why? Because they were filled with the Spirit of God. So when God comes and fills you with himself, think about that. You're going to believe, aren't you? When you are filled with him, then the natural aspect is to believe. It's to have hope. It's to have joy. It's to have life because you're filled with the spirit and God is spirit. 
So they were devoted to those things. They were filled with the Spirit. They were people of prayer. And last week we looked at that they were one of what? One of heart. Thank you, Ollie. Heart and soul. And we looked how the heart is the spirit and the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So they were one in spirit. Being one in spirit is an incredible, beautiful thing that can increase as you go along. Because the more you are one in mind, you're one in spirit. The more you're one in in, in your emotions, the more you're one in spirit, one together. And so Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. He said, I pray my people would be one. Genesis 2.24 says you take a man and a woman, they'll leave and they'll become one. The whole purpose to you and I is to be one body. That's another chapter in the book, body or individuals, which comes first? How does God see that? Yes, individuals make up a body. And a body is made up of individuals. But which comes first? Is there an order? Does it care? Does it matter? Yes, it does. Is it all about me first or is it all about his body first? Depending how I think determines how I live. And I'll be more about me and waiting to get my needs met. Or I'll be about my God and my brothers and sisters before me. Which one was the Messiah about? It's really interesting, isn't it? So if we're more and more going to come into... And become, we are, be, and become. There's going to be changes, aren't there? How do we change? Through the renewing of our mind. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through his food source, yes? Can you see why they were so devoted to the word? And as they started to have their minds renewed, what happens? What happens is your mind starts to shift and become more like God's mind, so you start having the mind of Christ. Is it fair to say you would live differently? Does it say your priorities would be different? Would it say the life you're now living in is different? Because you can see. And you can now see the future ahead of you and why you were really created. Is that a fair indication? And you're able to see things in the spiritual realm and receive things in the spiritual realm for you now, which has you living differently. See, the Bible says that God came along and he spoke to Noah about unseen things. So Noah is able to see unseen things, and he lived in accordance to unseen things, so he built an ark for water that hadn't yet arrived. You talk about goal setting. You talk about having a five-year plan. How about having an eternal one? People say to you, what's your five-year plan? I said, I don't have one. I have an eternal one. Yeah, I see in the eternal and see who I've been called to be, who God is, and my role and the function as a body and what that's going to look like, the whole deal. Because Isaiah said, I declare the end from the beginning. The picture of your finish line is going to determine how you run. And I love it, the Bible says you run. It's not a walk. It's a run. It's okay to walk, it's okay to stop now and again, but make sure you keep running. And so these people, they were in this oneness and coming into more of this oneness. And we looked at the first part of the soul being the mind last week. 
And I said, to the measure your mind has been renewed is to the measure you have the mind of Christ. So to the measure that your mind has been renewed by God's living word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to the measure you have the mind of Christ that you're going to live from. People claim to have the mind of Christ, but their lives don't reflect their words. So whether we do or we don't, my belief is you have the mind of Christ the level your mind's been renewed. But either way you want to believe that, it's pointless if you're not living it out, isn't it? Would that be a fair indication? If you're proclaiming something but living different, there's a disconnect, doesn't there? And Jesus is all about the position of oneness, authenticity, reality, actualization. I am love. I demonstrate love. I am free. I demonstrate freedom. Yeah? Make sense? Okay. So the two other elements I just want to talk to today, will and emotion. Ooh. Will and emotion. Paul said this. Philippians 2.2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. You see this everywhere. They are of one mind, one mind. One mind. The Bible says don't be haughty in mind in Romans. They were of one mind, one spirit. Oneness is powerful. When you have oneness, you have togetherness. Division doesn't have time to take root because you're one with him. And as we looked at last week, oneness isn't determined by how well I know my wife. Oneness is determined by how well I know him. And how well she knows him. I actually could have a greater oneness with Jay, spiritually, than I do with Danielle. Danielle can have a greater oneness in spirit with Paul than I do with her. Why? Because of the oneness that they have with the Lord. Because it has nothing to do with physical relationship. I know my wife more, physically. I can tell you her personality type. I can tell you this. I tell you what she likes. But once again, that's irrelevant. What I'm talking about is oneness and spirit. So the conversations, the dialogue, what they're able to hear and see, amazing. And yet God has designed that inside the marriage covenant. So the marriage covenant has been given for oneness of spirit between a man and a woman. Now imagine that. You bring those two people and all the married people together into a room. It's called the gathering of the saints. Now you have a oneness in the room. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Thanks, Shirley. <laughs> See, we probably never experienced it, so we don't even know what it's like. Do we have a reference point for oneness in spirit? Do you have a reference point for what that feels like, tastes like, is? Because it's so stirring, it's so empowering, it's so life-giving. Once you've tasted it, you want more. Once you've tasted him, I don't know about you, I want more. And all of a sudden, I want more. And more's not enough, so I want more. And he says you can have as much as you want. 
Because you're one and you're moving more into oneness. And Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on ten purposes. One. Does it start with a body or individuals? When it starts with individuals, everyone's looking for their purpose. When it starts with a body, there's only one. A big part of the book is rewiring us. It's trying to get us to shift perspective. Have divine perspective. See as the eagle sees from above. And look down from a divine perspective to see a much bigger picture than what you can see when you live on the earth. Because when you live on the earth, you can only see here. But when you're flying high at 20,000 feet, you get a much greater perspective of the reality, don't you? And this is who we're called to be. We're called to be eagles that soar, aren't we? Under his wing, but being looking down and being of the Spirit, understanding in the Spirit. So Paul is urging the church to be in oneness. That man lived for the church. He laid his life down for God and people. He even said, man, I wish I could go that my fellow Israelite brothers could be saved. I would give my life for my fellow brothers. That's how much that man was in love with the Father and he knew the love of the Father. And the great apostle is urging us that we would be in oneness of those four elements. He battled for it. He lived for it. There is massive, massive opposition to oneness in the spirit. Massive opposition between flesh and spirit. And this is where this thing comes into play. The will. What are you doing with your freedom of choice? The most powerful thing God gives us is choice. Isn't it? Why would he do that? What a dummy. Did he not know if he gave us choice, we would choose ourselves with it? Yes, he did. He knew exactly what he was doing. You see, the will which is God-given is, I think, the strongest thing in us. My ability to choose what I want to do. Did any one of you decide to be born? So is life a gift? So life is a gift given by the creator to the creation, isn't it? It's a gift. And then he says this, with the gift you've been given, how are you going to now choose to live this life out? There's two options on the table. The first option is me and my ways. The second option is you and your ways. With this incredible choice that you and I have been given, what are we doing with it? Living for ourselves? Living for him? This will never be a reality if we choose to live for ourselves. This will be a reality in name, but it won't be this. It'll just be 
the body coming together and really living for itself while it's here. But that's not the plan. The plan is to live for him. He gave you and I life with the hope that we would choose him. He says, if you would lose your life, you will find an indestructible life. But you won't find an indestructible life while you're trying to hold on to your life. You can't have it both ways, my people. My children want this all the time. My children want to behave in a way that doesn't match the culture of the home and still want the reward. And they can't figure out why dad's being the bad guy. Parents agree with me, wouldn't you? Well, that doesn't make any sort of sense, man. I should be able to do this and get that. You're a meanie and I hate you. That's all right, honey. I love you. And we've got a few years of this. So we're going to get used to this scenario, aren't we? And just like God, God doesn't change his mind. So dad's not changing his mind because dad knows what's best for his daughter and the dad knows what's best for us. So we can be over this side and want to live for us. And we look at that side and we go, it's so attractive. It's so cool. I wonder if I can take bits from there and then add them to me. So I'll take the bits. I'll do the things that all good Christian people do. But I'm still living for me. And so I don't come into the fullness of this enriched life of the spirit within me. And I was chosen and called to. And so really, I turn up as an individual among a whole lot of people who I don't know. And once again, that's not the first place priority. It's to know him. Because you can't know everyone that's part of here. But if we know him, then we're one. That's why it's so beautiful. I don't need to know Takawa that well. I've met her three weeks ago. But I've got a oneness with her in spirit. She's had many three weeks. I've had one conversation, but I can sense from spirit to spirit. There's a oneness. Imagine this, guys. Imagine this. Imagine just walking into that. And God says, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Now, he has already drawn near to us, but he draws near again. And yet this thing, I don't know if we can get that behind me on the camera, but it's the will. God has given you and I a will. He says, will you be one with me in will? With mind, will, and emotion. Come with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14. I'm, um, I'm actually starting to write the second book. Because he just keeps speaking and, and I'm going to be speaking. I'm going to write this book. It's going to be about Paul. And um, it's going to be called Imitate Me as I Imitate Christ. And things God's been showing me is that Paul is a prophetic picture. He's a real man, but he's a prophetic picture of the church. He was a prophetic picture of son as well. It's quite interesting. He was two sons, Saul and Paul, but still a son. And he's two churches, flesh and spirit. And I love the fact that God takes a man that was so going the wrong way and turns him around and put him to the right way. I can't help but relate to that myself a bit. A man that was so lost but now is found. 
He really found, really saved, you know, no, no gray area. He sort of went from the dark to the light, boom, boom, because he received the gospel. It's for us. And I want to look at him because there's touches of it within the book, but I'm going to go more and deeper because I believe there's such an insight we can see from this man because he said, imitate me. See, I reckon he's the guy we can relate to the most. We say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yep, yep, got that call, Peter. But I reckon Paul, because Paul was the opposite in Saul. I was completely the opposite before 1997. And he's a beautiful picture. And his process of how you go from Saul to Paul is for us all. Just became a poet. <laughs> Stick to singing. Thanks, bro. Oh, just by the way, if you need 80s costumes for the party, uh, Paul Costello, his wardrobe, full of it, full of it. Wasn't going to say that till that dig there, but there you go, 1-1. One, one. He's got an amazing Hawaiian shirt. Just don't return it and burn it. Give us grace. Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 this is Paul for the love of Christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died and he died for all so that so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf I'm going to read that again slowly for the love of Christ controls us a massive part of becoming one with God is knowing who he is. It's so crucial, critical to not just know about, but to know. Hence, I can plug in the book, chapter one. That's the whole purpose of the whole thing is to know God. He's saying the love, God is love, is he not? So love God, same thing. God controls us. The love of God controls us. See, the will? Control. This is all about control, isn't it? Our will is about staying in control. It's about holding on to the reins and being the one who's dictating where this life is going. No one's getting the reins of my life. I am in complete control of my life. But that is the complete opposite to Christianity. It's the complete opposite way. This is why we don't come into life, because we're trying to control our own lives. You have to get comfortable with handing over the reign of your life to the one of life. He gave you a gift so you would give your life back to him, for him to define it, for him to give it back to you. So you don't define it. If you're defining your life, if I'm defining my life, I'm never going to come into life. And Jesus died for me to come into a resurrected, eternal, indestructible life in him. Can you see who the problem is? Greg, that's right. <laughs> so Paul is saying the love of God, because I've transitioned. Paul's saying, I've transitioned from being Saul to Paul. I've transitioned from thinking, knowing, thinking I had it all down pat into a new realm because I received the gospel. I received the gospel through a revelation of a person. 
In fact, it was the revelation of the person that brought the gospel to life. And I realized how righteous I was before the Father. I realized how lost I was, but now how found I am. And now I am controlled by God. I've given over this thing I was given called a will. And I've laid it down to then pick up his. The man was so in love, so in love with Jesus because Jesus revealed himself in him. So he goes on, he says, having concluded this, that one died for all, Jesus, therefore all died. See, we're supposed to be dead. Say I'm dead. When you invited Christ into your life, you died. Technically, supposed to be. Theoretically, reality can be different. Who is it that's supposed to be on the altar? Us. It says, put your body on the altar. I said this before, the problem with living sacrifices is they get off the altar. Because you're living. Flag that, man. I saw the knife coming. Gone. But that's where it needs to stay. You see, we are the offering. We are the sacrifice now. He says, you give me your this and your that. You give me your music. You give me your words. You give me this. But I want you. I want every part of you. I want the way you think, the way you speak, your attitudes. I want all of that flesh and I want to put it on my altar because I'm coming to do a work. And this is don't conform to the patterns of the world. Don't go back. Stay on the altar because the patterns of the world want to take you off the altar. So stay here while a work starts to happen. And it's a whole lifetime work, isn't it? But we are, and the Bible says, this is your spiritual service of worship. What? My death and my resurrection. That's what worship is. Ultimately, that's what it is. It's, it, after that comes song. But see, we, we take the second and make that the priority and we miss the first and we wonder why we're not in life. And this thing, guys, called my will must die. It must be given over to him. If oneness is going to be and oneness is going to be, it'll be oneness here to the measure that you and I have said yes to him. So if this half of the room say yes, then we'll have a third of oneness here, while the other two-thirds go, nah, still living for me. So there's oneness, but it's not full oneness, is it? And the hope would be that this wave would start to wash this way of the Spirit and wash over everybody, because everyone's now, now we're halfway. And now everyone's made to, yes, Lord, yes, one in spirit, one in mind, one in will, living for you and you alone, because I died. And this is what Paul is saying. And he died for all. Are we all? We're all. So he died for all. Therefore, all died. Is that good news? 
maybe. It's awesome news. There's nothing good in us anyway. Is there? Doesn't the Bible say there's nothing good in you and I? No one is good. Isn't that what it says? That's the Bible I read. So you think about this. If nothing was good in you, you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> All you're holding on to is rubbish. Because there's no good in you. <laughs> His perspective. His perspective. says so this is the greatest offering, trade offering, exchange, international exchange, global exchange you can get. You get me and I get you. <laughs> I mean, it don't get better than that. You give me your junk, I'll give you abundant life. But you have to choose. You have to choose because I've given you the power to choose because I don't want robots. I don't want people that just love me because they have to love me. I don't want people that have to give me my will because they have to give me my will. I look for people that want to because they've fallen in love with me because they understand the story. They understand what I did. Why? Because they're one with me in spirit. Because the flesh doesn't understand it. My mate doesn't understand this. My mate has no concept of God and we talk and I pray and I dialogue. But at the end of the day, it's going (laughs) because there's no spirit to understand the things of the spirit. But we've been given the honor and the privilege to understand and to come into. But we still have this thing called a will. And it will get in the way of individual abundant life. And transformational family. These guys, they found Christ to a measure and were finding him to an increasing measure. There was no need. It was just flowing out of them. Okay? Hear the outcome, but let's move towards him. Phenomenal. They who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Christ. What about Galatians 2.20? Galatians 2.20. You'll know this one. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You can see why Paul is a beautiful model to want to look at, can't you? So he's clearly stating a position in Christ. I no longer live. I did. I once did. I no longer do. And the life that I now live in the flesh on earth I live it by faith in myself. No, I lived that way for a number of years. Got me nowhere. The life I now live, I live by faith in the one who rescued me. The one who came and revealed the gospel to me, I live my life now in faith with absolute conviction of assurance in Jesus Christ. 
That's where I put my faith. I've given my will over and I've given it for my life is hidden in Christ to Jesus Christ. And this moment on, my life is different. Everything I do, the decisions I make, because I'm controlled by love, is based on not my faith in myself, not my trust in myself, not controlling my own life, but giving it over to the creator of the world. doesn't get any better than that. It's the safest hands to give it to. There's no one bigger, greater, more miraculous, more magnificent than God. That's not a, oh my goodness, I wonder if he'll... Hold it well. It's funny, eh? We say these things. I wonder if I can trust them. Uh, okay. You see why we need to meditate on his word? The first page. There was nothing, then there was light. That's enough to trust him, isn't it? <laughs> Do you need more than that? There was nothing, and then there was light. Think about this. You're trusting in you, but you didn't even create you. You don't exist if the creator doesn't breathe you into being. So why are you trusting in you when you're not smart enough to get you here without him? I'm talking to me. If you start putting it in these simple terms, it all starts to make sense, doesn't it? You start seeing yourself in the light and going, what a muppet. Oh, what an idiot. I mean, really? If nothing good exists in me without Christ, and I didn't get here without Christ, and he even chose when I was going to be here, who I was going to come through, what would make me think that I could control my life and know what's best for it? So maybe it's time I handed over this thing called the will God has given me. And really become one with him and one another. So I can become some, part of something much, much bigger than me called his church. Which is a people on the earth who are sons, who represent the son on the earth while they're here. The way the son intended with the culture and the value system of the son because they're of the same seed. And we become this full-on transformational family who truly love one another as Christ would love us. Who care about one another, pray about one another. We give all. We give all of ourselves. Because of the one that we've come to know because we're one with him. Matthew twelve forty five to 46 to 50 is, I won't read it, but it's about Jesus. And, you know, the people come and say, they say, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. My mother and my brothers are those who do my will. My family are those who have really let go of their own will. And with their freedom of choice are choosing to do my will. So once again, we need to know what his will is, don't we? Not our will, his will. There's a whole one we've got around the wrong way as well. So he's saying that doesn't mean you're not justified. That doesn't mean you're, you're not 
a family member of Christ, but what it means is that God is looking for all those who are laying their lives down because those who lay their lives down and do the will of the Father, letting go of their own will, and become this, there is a reward. And those that don't, unfortunately, there is no reward. And that's biblical. So we just have to, once again, we have to contend with that reality because that's what the scriptures teach us. And it's not about whether it's fear or not, it's the truth. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying to us very clearly in the scriptures, those who do my will, they are my family, my mother, my brothers. So we've all been invited to have this intimate, close relationship with him. But the reality is, like we've all got families, you can have Uncle Bob who lives in Australia that you never see. So Uncle Bob is still part of the family, isn't he? But we just never see him. We don't really know who he is. But we know he exists, and once a year we get a postcard. But Uncle Bob lives for himself, and he's right over there doing his own thing. So he never really comes part of the family, but he's bloodline. Can you hear what I'm saying? See, the Bible says that God knows those who are haughty from afar. He knows us, but see, it's haughty in spirit, isn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the poor in spirit are giving over their will because they are no longer prideful of life. Matthew 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in, pure, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven starting within you, abundant life. Why? Because you've transitioned. You've gone through the wrestle. Who's gone through the wrestle here? Gone through the wrestle. That's a wrestle, isn't it? Oh, it's a fight, man. Giving over control is a fight. But I know when I did it in 97, man, life. It released life. So what about one in emotion? God given us emotions, hasn't he? He's given us emotions to, to sing, to praise, to experience, to feel him, taste him in the spiritual sense. But it's to be real. It's to be in us. Sometimes I've met people that really struggle with this. There tends to be two types of followers that I've seen who struggle. I've put here the follower who is all over the place emotionally. So high and low, they're led by their emotions. So when things are going well, God's good, man. It's awesome. Everything's cool. I'm bulletproof and woohoo, it's all good. And then Monday comes and something goes wrong and they're down. And that's low. And then they go up again because they're on this emotional ride. And it's up and it's down and it's up. And emotions determine the truth. So what we do is we go, I don't like that because that doesn't make me feel good. Rip that one out. Don't like that. Rip that one out. Don't like that. Oh, you said that to me. Don't like that. It's all feelings led. Feelings driven. And it views the word through that. And yet God has given us emotions. I love him with my emotions. 
It's the most beautiful thing to experience the love of God, to know that, to, to feel it in you, to, to know how saved you are, to know how wrong you were, to know how right you are because of his love. It's incredible. And then to express that through your physical body, because God has come to save my spirit, my soul, my body. And then to enter into that, to get excited, not over the top, to get excited and just like, man, just like anything else. Then there's the other people, and man, they're so stoic, so English, and I'm English, so I can say this. So like, what did I write down here? Serious, sour, stone-faced, and a dried-up prune. And man, they're in love with God. It's like worship is this. Do you know what you give off? And I know physical is not at all, but it actually says something. It's like, I love God. So in love with him this morning. It's like, yeah, okay. And what tends to happen is you get those people who judge the people that are high and low. And they throw rocks. Look at those over-the-top emotional people that throw rocks. And these guys look at those guys. You don't know anything of the spirit. And they throw rocks back. And it's just this war going backwards and forwards. And meanwhile, the position is people like the peacemakers trying to go, no, no, hey, hey, come come this way. And, and, and you come this way because... You need more, more of, well, we all both need more of God, but yeah, you could say you need more truth and you need more of spirit. But spirit and truth is one position. And we try and bring these people. This is what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker brings those two groups into the middle, to the plumb line. And if we are one of spirit and soul, then the outworking is a body that functions like a body. Because the last thing is the physical body. It's a demonstration. So the more we are one with him, the more we act like him. The Bible says to walk in the manner in which he walked. 1 John 2 verse 6. To walk in the manner, physically walk in the manner to which Christ walked. Why? Because of the inner realm that's being formed and established within our hearts and our minds. Because we are literally becoming not a mini God, but Christ within us is being formed. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, I am in labor again until Christ is formed in you. Paul said, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, intent on one purpose, which is God's will, which is multi-leveled. And we're going to look at this as we unpack more of this stuff. Because as I said at the start, the sanctificational process plus spirit-led works equals transformational family and that's about it